Scott picture is still in the Skype chat. I know. You need, I know. You need to type something else in Skype to make it scroll away. I agree. I'm going to do it right now. Here we go. Okay. Ah, oh, so much better. I wanted, I wanted that to go away so much I even forgot to hit record until after I said that. Um, I've just added some text to our Skype channel. So the picture of Willard Scott as a, a self-similar, <laughs> self-replicating fast food clown is now gone. So you've got uh, the Seinfeld joke. You've got Lorem Ipsum. Uh, and then you've got... Are you, are you remarking I, on my Lorem Ipsum text? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's in the middle there. What's do, you in care? The middle? do you care? Do you care? Yeah. I like to have filler text, especially in the days when I had to write to a certain word count. And so I wanted a way to see what a certain amount of words look like. Mm-hmm. And so I created a text expander uh, shortcut called, the trigger is L-L-O-R-E-M. <laughs> L- <laughs> oh, wow. Laugh out loud, R-E-M. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I just wanted some way to land at a certain amount of words. And so I just kept uh, adding words and things until, as it says in the last uh, phrase there, 100 words and 600 characters. So if I do that uh, five times, that's 500 words. So uh, in this uh, 600 character blob, 100 words, 600 character blob, it starts with a line from a Seinfeld You are gag. so good looking. Yep. It ends with a thing that says 100 words and 600 characters to remind you in case you didn't know how much this block is. And in the middle, it says pretty fractal, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's very kind of weird. Yeah. And I don't know what that's from. So you can It's nothing. Me. It's just words. It's just no, it's, you lie. Mm. You know, you you uh you're like a person who would stare at the wallpaper. You know, it's a visual version of semantic satiation. Hmm. <laughs> so you don't remember what it's from that middle part? Uh, no, no. I just mean we're writing words. I'm a, I'm a writer. I write. Right. They cut that. They, right. It was in the trailer, but they cut it out of the mm. final film. Mm. Um. Yeah, I could do something different. Laura Mipsum text is interesting to me. I first encountered it, I want to say, in something having to do with Aldous Pagemaker. Like, maybe it was the, whenever they showed examples, they had Lauren Mipsum text. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I, I think like, every, like most people anyway, not everybody, but like most people, I just assumed it was straight Latin. But mm. I think it's not straight Latin. I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, a best Nonsense. It's, uh, it's, uh, oh, I can't do this one. You're going to have to help me out. Prison, yeah. colon, ensign, accusal? Prison, colon, ensign, choosel. I was close. I was close. All right. Ba-ba-da. So it looks Ba-ba-da-ba. like that, but isn't, yeah, no, there's a whole thing with Lorem Ipsum. There is. It's actually, it's kind of interesting. It's not super interesting, but it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm also interested in, um, type specimens or what's supposed to phrase they use for it. Like when you want to see, like, so like when I made my fake Rockford files thing for, for the, for the, uh, for Bando, I, I, I wanted to mock it up in, in the font book. So what it's called font book font, font, the a mover. What's it called? What's the app? Font book is the app. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you can change the specimen in that you can look at all different, it's a, you know, pretty reasonable, cool app. And so, obviously, I would say the Rockford Files, and then I would compare it. And a trick that I do, well, you know, I, I finally took a listener's advice and several listeners' advice and got Affinity Designer as a, mm-hmm. it's a really, it's a good app. And yeah, you get I, know. It, I use I, I use every time I need Illustrator and I uh, run away from how expensive it is, eventually I just bought uh, Affinity Designer. I did a lot of the ATP t-shirt designs in Affinity Designer. It's, it's a nice app. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot, but before that, I would just do an acorn, which is I would take the original image that I wanted to parody. And the quick and dirty version is I'd lock the layer that had the thing I wanted to copy, make a new layer, and then just keep tweaking the faces, the weight, the kerning, 
uh, et cetera, until it looked close enough, you know, for my eyes. Um, but, uh, but it's neat to be able to go in and see a type specimen. And, you know, there's the, the, the one I grew up with was the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, which mm-hmm. is also a stripes reference. And then what's the one Jesse Garrett used to use? Uh, Pac- Razorback frog, something, something. Oh, Razor, I don't think, I don't know if I know that there's, one. There's a Razorback frog one. Uh, there's there the one that he used the, to use was uh, pack, the, my, the pack my bags with quartz. liquor boxes or something like that. Oh, I, I know the other one that's good is the black quartz made, made of, make, black sphinx made of quartz or something. That's another one. I don't know that one. Uh, I, I gotta look his belt up now. But then sometimes I will want to do, that's not the word, type specimen. A specimen is like a display of what all the faces look like. But the thing where you want to see a sample, I guess, repertoire, sample, no. I forget, Uh, I just know these names from font book. But uh, I'll do it where like I want to see what these characters are going to look like next to each other. So I wanted to do, in, in in my not very funny, considering how much time I spent on it, bit about Todd's bullet uh, explainer video. And I wanted to exactly copy the opening credits of Bullet. Well, the the typeface in the opening credits of Bullet has only ever officially existed as a, there's no digital version. Nobody ever is called, uh, I think the, the face is called information. And it never got, it never got officially made into a, a digital face. So I found this one that was like mostly pretty close, but the cue was totally wrong. The, like for Steve McQueen. The Q and Steve McQueen would have been so wrong and obviously not the real thing. You know, it's the people who like to get cute and have the little curly Q like go under the letters next to it. And the information don't do that. Anyway, I don't know. Sometimes I think the point, I think the point of all of these things mostly is to not be distracted by the content of what you're looking at, as you clearly have. I have failed because you're distracted by my Seinfeld bit. But I think the idea is to be able to see what this thing's going to look like without getting distracted by, you know, words that are too meaningful yeah maybe you did it all out of pangrams that's what uh, my brief googling has reminded me those sentences that have every letter in the alphabet in them are called maybe if you did it instead of like the fake uh latin which by the way i found a good website that explains uh the latin yeah thing. there's lots, in, lots of layers of the stack here a lot of layers and you can all there's different ones you can get you can get different sort of uh it's almost like uh like funko pops for words where you can get different ones based on you know from different books or from different like you know fantasy uh franchises and stuff like that pan graham this lorem ipsum.io website says lorem ipsum was popularized in the 1960s with letrosets dry transfer sheets and later entered the digital world via aldous page maker later acquired by adobe now back to pangrams i you, found wait, wait, hang on let's not gloss over the fact that i did nail that yes i know you got Thank it you. i was confirming right but okay, five information points yeah uh the pangrams i was thinking of the super cool one that's actually also very short is let me go let me see how short it is it is 29 letters long so pretty good quartz judge my vow pretty good that's so metal that is such a metal sentence yep and it's super short um and the other one i was thinking of is not so short is how razorback jumping frogs can level six peak gymnasts oh and just so we're clear here what we're looking for is something that shows you what every uh well not every character but an exemplar of each character even though some are going to be upper or lower case. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know it like that in that context of like, hey, show me what a, a typeface looks like. But I I feel like Pangrams, and maybe I should read the, the Wikipedia page, had a prior existence just as a word game of like, mm-hmm. can you give me a sentence? Just like uh, an, uh, not anagrams. Uh, palindromes. There you go. Thank you. Palindromic I palindrome sentences. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there was a good palindrome recently. 
uh, man, a plan, a canal. No, animal. no. Oh God, this is bad. It was a. Uh, it was one that didn't. Uh, it didn't honor word boundaries. I don't know if there's different rules about that, but like that you can squish all the letters together and just put in new word boundaries in the opposite direction. Oh, so like spaces aren't meaningful. It's uh, like a, a HTML only one space. Exactly. Is meaningful. Yeah. Uh, but this one also had like a semantic layer to it, where the meaning of the sentence made sense that it could be read backwards. But I don't remember it. I'm never going to get that one. But anyway, tenant. Are you getting this? Tenant. Did are you watch getting it? this? Jesus, I tried. Well, I mean, I, tr- I went to the theater and saw it. It was really good. Holy God, there's so many times. I almost text, I almost said this in the Slack channel, but I thought I'm not going to get into a thing. If I had, for the sake of argument, seen some of the movie Tenet, I, I was so, I, you know, I'm loaded for bear. I, I, I'm, I, I love did, that Did you filmmaker. read my tweets before you started no, watching it? I don't think okay. so. All right. Did you read my tweets after? Is this, the, is this the reference to something you made recently where you wouldn't reveal what the reference was to? No, I mean, I tweeted about Tenet. I was wondering if you had just seen it on your own, or and I, I'm going to find my tweets for you now that you've Oh, please do. I'd, I'd love to see that. I feel um, like you can appreciate my tweets. He's such a, f- well, how do, how do you say? <laughs> he's such a frustrating <laughs> filmmaker because, like, between him and his brother, I guess, like, they have made, well, when you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie, you sure know it. There's a, there's a real, there's a look to it. As I made a little joke about, like, it does often feel like a very long teaser trailer for the movie that you're watching. But there were several points and, and when I went to the theater to see Tenet, there's several times in that movie where I, I had to say to my wife, did you just hear the words that they just said? She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to rewind because I really want you to listen what someone wrote in like whatever. And um, okay. Because it was, it was like, I can't believe this is considered a professionally written bit of dialogue. Mm-hmm. It was so, there was so much as you know, Bob. And but I love that actor. I love the guy that's, uh, what's his name? Denzel's son. He He's was got three great. names. It's got three names. Den- Denzel, three names. And um, one of them is not Denzel. <laughs> well, that seems that seems a little hypocritical, to be honest. Um, okay, I'm going to read your tweet in a minute, but first I just want to get that it's out. It's a thread. Like, it's three tweets. You got to read the I was three like, forget. It, this is, and then I, I would get so mad because every six minutes, something would draw me back in, in the same way as like the hallway scenes in Inception. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. were the scenes in this of the word, you know, similarly like extremely creative and well done visually. In a kind of similar but different way. And I'd be, God damn it, but you don't pull me back into this movie that's obviously not good. This movie <laughs> it's, thinks it's, it's really smart. <laughs> John David Washington. I love him too. He was really good in this. Please read my thread of three tweets now. This is a golden age for black actors who are around 30. There's so, there's been so many good roles. Like you think about, um, I mean, obviously Get Out would be a big example. The, um, oh shoot, what's the one in Oakland? That really good one uh, with the storefront. You know, uh, the not I think you should leave. <laughs> what's it called? Uh, I'm thinking of destroying you. No, what's it called? You know that movie in Oakland? Uh, I know the TV series. I may destroy no, you. No, I'm just riffing. Right. But uh, yeah, what a, what a great time. Okay, I'm clicking. Okay, can, shall I read this aloud? I'm going to go It's three cold. tweets. You can read it aloud if you want or in your head. Uh, this is uh, John Sirkisa on, uh, oh, yesterday. Yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday. Uh, when Sorry. I, uh, November 30th. Uh, when I keep getting something wrong in a particular way i often try to make the opposite mistake on purpose for example if i keep overcooking a dish i try to intentionally undercook it or if i'm hitting a serve long in tennis i try to hit the top of the net instead i do this one throwing things in the trash um something's uh, a new tweet sometimes i do in fact make the opposite mistake the serve hits the net the food ends up practically raw well i finally saw tenant and it made me wonder if no one uses a similar technique I was turned off by the over-explaining in Inception. Tenet goes in the opposite direction. 
It still tries to explain, but it sure doesn't hold your hand about it, and it's a big in a big damn hurry. While watching, I could practically hear the ball <laughs> thwapping against the tape. I don't want to ruin Tenet for people, but like my big no, complaint with Deception, which I think most people have seen by now, is that it's like, we get it. Stop explaining the mechanics of your movie and just do the movie. It was killing me. And this movie is like, oh, you, you had, was it too much explaining? Well, buckle up, because we're going to say something once, and it's going to make no sense, and then we're going to move on, and if you're not if you're not along for the ride, tough damn luck. Have you really luck. thought about it? Have you really thought about the word tenant? Have you thought about <gasps> it? No, just, the movie does not have time for you to appreciate the palindromic nature of its title. <laughs> There's no I in tenant. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess my kid and I were having a conversation the other night about something related. I don't know. I had one of my, you know, very insightful 8.30 p.m. thoughts that, that sounded smart in my head. But I was thinking about how, you know, there's big world building uh, novels and um, like, like books and movies that are, oh, you know what it was? I think we were talking about science fiction. Maybe I said this to Roderick. I don't remember. But, um, but, there, but I love the idea of, yes, it must have been with Roderick because we were talking about Fahrenheit 9, or not Fahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> oh, different oh, thing. God. Because my kid is reading the, the, the burning books book. And I was saying how I, I really, I like, if you're going to go with sci-fi, speculative fiction, I do, I do kind of like the, uh, the, like when there's like the big idea and then a lot of specificity about what the, in that different world from ours or a seemingly different world from ours, um, you get into extreme specifics about that world that amplify the, the similarities and differences. And I think... I mean, I don't, I don't know how to make a movie. I don't know how to really how to tell a story, obviously. But I, I do know that, it, that it's frustrating when the person, the, the author, the voice, the storyteller, when that person is way more interested in a certain altitude of the story than you are. And like, like I never, I keep meaning to read that Pat Rothfuss book. Uh, and I was going to suggest it to my kid, the um, King Killer books. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, you know, and I, I love a big world. I mean, I, I, I don't like elven, you know, language, but I, I like a big world, but I also like the, the, the specificity uh, of things. You know what I mean? Like these, this is like, you don't have to overexplain a, a classic children of men. Like you don't really, you don't have to, there's a lot of great exposition. Uh, well, secondarily that's told, like here's, we're telling you things about the story, but famously in that movie, uh, Corone succeeds by having so much of the exposition be just in what you're seeing like in the background on signs. Um, you know, maybe to an extent, don't you think the, um, the, uh, the leftovers is kind of like that? Like, yeah, there's exposition. Like we need to tell you what, you know, kind of what happened, but, or the beginning of Fury Road where there's so much of the quote unquote explanation as covered in our Fury Road episode, you get a little bit of snatches of dialogue at the beginning and then a bunch of references that, I had no idea what they were referring to. I imagine they mean something, but they know what the big idea of that movie is, which is gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta get back, gotta get back, gotta get back. And like, that's, that's the story, but they're able to add a lot to that. I just think sometimes, I'm not saying this is Nolan particularly, but there are, there's some times where you're like, wow, this person's really sniffing their own farts about how big of an idea this thing is. And it becomes tiresome, you know? You, you want it to be in your intellectual and emotional wheelhouse, and I think that's really hard to do. See, I don't, I don't blame this on being a Nolan thing because he makes lots of different kinds of movies, some of which I really like. I watched Interstellar again with the family recently, and for all my complaints about that movie, it has certain aspects of it that are just 
phenomenal. And I still, yeah. it has a. It's very. I think about. I think about that movie all the time. It punches above its weight because, mm-hmm. for all its silliness, it's just it does so other parts so well. And that movie is nothing like these, right? But it has rules. I mean, it's a it's a world with rules. Like when you're on this planet, time is going, you know. But for to your understanding, time is going like this, and that's that's not a rule that you can change. And when a rule finally is changed, it's a it's a really big deal, and the implementation is visually stunning. But but it's a different. I mean, or like what is the other one he did with the the people on the beach? Uh, yeah, Inception. No, come on. Uh, the the World War Two one. Uh, the oh, boats Dunkirk. are coming from. What yeah. is it? See now, I, Dunkirk. See now, I I could have done with a little bit more explanation about the three three time scales in that because I didn't get it till the yeah, second or third yeah, time. All right. Well, but anyway, did you get it? Point, did you get the three time scales? Yes, I did. But my okay. but my point is that those all, those movies that I named Interstellar, Dunkirk, uh, Inception. Very different. But in his entire repertoire of movies that he has made, you look at Inception and Tenet, and they are a matched pair. They are, they are, they have, they are movies that are like, I have a single sci-fi conceit that the movie will be about and hinge on, but they are done in so different ways where Inception's like, essentially the mass market way of like, look, there is no way you can watch this movie and not understand this thing because I'm going to explain it to you from every possible angle and you will be soaking in it the whole time. And there is literally one right. conceit and you're going to get it. And it's cool. And it makes for some interesting set pieces and yada, yada, whatever. And Tenet is the exact same kind of movie. It's like he made Dunkirk and then he made like a D-Day movie. It's like, and and in and all, both of them, you know, well, it's different because Dunkirk has the overlapping timelines. But like Tenet is so much like Inception. It's an Inception style movie. And that's weird for Nolan because other than the Batmans, he really doesn't make movies that are like any other ones that he's made. Interstellar is very different from Dunkirk, right? Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. guy, but two very different movies. And if you look at them, you're like, you wouldn't think it's like a Tarantino movie you see. You're like, oh, well, Tarantino movies, they all kind of fit together because I see that Tarantino style. But the Dunkirk style is very different from the Interstellar style. It's very mm-hmm. different from the Inception style. But yep, Inception and Tenet are like proton and anti-proton or whatever analogy you want to make. Mm-hmm. But they <clears> do it so differently. It's like like the tweets I was saying, like, what if if people had complained to him, if I imagine people had complained that Inception was over explaining, he's like, second cut, I'm going to do that same kind of movie, but I'm not going to make that mistake. In fact, if anything, I'm going to under explain. And you watch Tenet and I can't imagine anybody like sitting through this movie to the end because it tries to lose you so fast and it doesn't care that it lost you and it just it's running off into the woods and you're like, but wait, but. It just, I mean, I was trying so hard to hang on to this movie. So you found it difficult to follow. I mean, here's the problem. I don't think it holds together, mm-hmm. but it goes so fast that I'm like, does it not hold together? Because Inception's premise for all its silliness, like, is self-consistent. Like, it, you know, again, they over-explain it and it works. The tenant premise, like, mm, I don't, I haven't gone through the rabbit hole, look at all the explainers or whatever. I don't think the set of rules makes any sense. But it runs, runs, and runs so fast, and it wants to have these exciting action set pieces. And the few bits of the rules that you do understand and that do work made for exciting set pieces, but and then this other story kind of well went through, and it's like it's it is it is quite a mess. I think, I mean, for all my not hatred, but for all my sort of backlash powered dislike of Inception, I think Inception is a more coherent movie. But Tenet really swings for the fences. More sports analogies. Tenet, yeah. Tenet really just tries to to make the opposite mistake, which I totally respect him for. <laughs> and I love John David Washington, which is the actual name of, of the lead actor. And I think the movie has, a, like, like Interstellar, it has lots of things to recommend it. It's not in my, you know, 
top two or three uh, Christopher Nolan movies, but I would or I would recommend people watch it maybe more than once because it's a hell of an experience. I do want to dive down the rabbit hole like the primer primer things that try to explain the whole movie because I think I would like to see someone try to make this set of rules hold together. I don't think it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think it just it just absolutely falls apart under scrutiny. Well, and the, the thing is, sometimes the trade off is if you're bought in enough on like and the example i always give here is face off which i know is not a perfect movie but <laughs> right. but a movie like face off if you can get past the one the one 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 of the several extremely implausible things about it you go what's a john woo movie i'm gonna i bought the ticket i'm gonna take the ride you know and i'm just gonna watch nicholas cage like gnaw on every last you know square inch of the of the scenery but it's it is also that like so what'd you give predestination like two and a half stars ah uh, maybe you didn't uh, you didn't love predestination right? i mean yeah, it was not like it wasn't so much the 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 outline. It was I felt like the execution was a little. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. But I'm just I'm, I'm just trying to think of like rules based. But you know, predestination holds together for what it is. Like its for, rules such are internally consistent. Yeah, but like I I do think there's something. Um, so what was the one I was going to think? Oh, and this this is perhaps in some ways why I think the prestige is so good. Is like I feel like you can enjoy again to quote the great Griffin Newman uh, in regard to RoboCop. This is a movie that'll appeal to the smartest person in the room and the dumbest person in the room. Like, I feel like I get, I get, I appreciate more about the levels going on in the prestige um, as I've seen it, you know, three, four, five times. You know what I mean? I like a movie like that though, where like, oh yeah, I see what you did there. And you know what the thing is? I should have seen what you did there a lot earlier, but I know enough to know that you wouldn't do that. Like you, you know, don't uh, no, don't go to land war in Asia or uh, you know up against the Sicilian when death is on the line. Right? Did you swap the cups? Well, how would you swap the cups? Well, the way you swapped the cups was like, in retrospect, about as subtle as what Carrie Elways did with the cups, which is that he cheated. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, he's been taking a little bit of iocane for years so that he could hilariously, in the plot of that movie, be able to face off against somebody where a very particular poison is involved. Well, uh, like, you, like you like to say, you know, some of these things are actually tricks. Uh, so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I'll tell you, man, that Penn and Teller thing, that bullet trick, it's just a trick. Um, but I, I like a thing. I'm trying to think of other examples of that now, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like the, I like a movie that knows what it is. It, was, it sounds like a dumb thing to say, but like, you know, if it's, if it's uh, like they live, that movie knows what it is. It's a really smart, dumb movie, which in some ways I think can be more satisfying than a really dumb, smart movie. They Live is incredibly dumb, but it's really effective. And it's got a, like an 11-minute fight scene, which is kind of cool. But you know what I'm saying? Like when, you, when a movie knows what it is and like just goes, I, I have to say, I think RoboCop is a pretty terrific example of that. Um, it's not quite, it's not as good as I remember it being in the 80s, but I still think it's a, just a terrific movie. RoboCop, even in the 80s, has a certain, like most things in the 80s, has a certain camp factor that is only oh, amplified 100%. over time, right? Whereas, <laughs> like, I, it was, we were not in the post-camp era. I feel like, I mean, Nolan Batman, I feel like, started the post-camp era, where it's like, even in superhero movies, yeah, we're going to try to be more or less deadly serious. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and arguably, like, that's not... Uh, 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 Keaton Batman, I still think, had a little bit of the camp factor. Uh, but Nolan Batman really put it to bed. And then oh, you Mar- think a little bit, a little bit? <laughs> and then the MCU just went on with that. You say, well, MCU has camp. Not really. MCU takes itself very seriously. No, like, I, to- I totally agree. Uh, ab- absolutely. Um, 
I don't know if it's a beef because for a long time I had held that I think like a lot of people I consider The Dark Knight one of the really one of the really really fine uh, superhero movies and that might just be because it was at the time my god I'd, I'd never seen anything like it in a superhero movie but like the second and third Batsman movies uh, I'm not saying you should do a Hunger Games or a Deathly Hallows but Jesus Christ <laughs> to, to quote to quote Ted Lasso, how many countries are there in this country? Mm-hmm. Like, how many movies are inside that movie? I mean, Dark Knight could be a real good movie before you get to the ferry. And then you get to the, the ferries. You get to the ferries, and then it's like, oh my God, there's a whole other movie here. And I think that might arguably, in terms of effectiveness, be even less... I think The Dark Knight Rises is way too long. Maybe unscientific, but perhaps through the ferries we could ask Mothra to intervene. I got that quote slightly wrong, but I couldn't resist. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, although I, it's not multiple yeah. movies, it's just like there are extraneous parts. Um, and well, but it also it's just there's a whole like you know I do really mean like I'm not talking about like the ending of Lord of the Rings where it's like it has eleven ends endings to it. But I'm talking but about it should like should have eleven ends. Yeah, yeah, I know you got to say was, goodbye. There was, uh, yeah, there's there's it's almost like the the beginning. I would I wouldn't say it's a whole other movie. I'd say it's a start of another movie. <laughs> right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like and then they have to wrap it up at the end. And it, it, it like. It, it it fizzles. And I was going to say, this is, an, this is just like Nolan, but I realize this is Nolan as well. And that he's so skilled that even when he makes a mistake in a movie, it is skillfully executed. Right. And that's, that's what brings people back to it. That it, like the, the basic kind of like Spielberg in that respect, certain sort of fu- the fundamentals to more sports analogies, like they, they have such good fundamentals of what they're able to do, which is basics of framing and pacing and like yeah, just yeah. the way the the thing is put together that even when they do something ill-advised or or some part of the story is silly or doesn't hold together as a whole the execution is on such a high level tarantino does this some degree as well the execution is on such a high mm-hmm. level that depending on how uh how attached you are to the rest of it sometimes you're able to forgive the foibles right that's why absolutely I, yeah. I love interstellar so much because the good parts are so good that the bad slash infuriating parts are like, yeah, but, right? And mm-hmm. Interstellar, I feel like, unlike The Dark Knight, does sort of, it doesn't have too many extra endings. It doesn't linger. It like it, it is all of a piece. It is a big, sprawling story, but I feel like it is correctly sized and encapsulated. And there's just a few elements of the story that are a little bit off. And even Tenet, which which races through its story and probably doesn't hold together <laughs> the the... The action scenes are so stylish and inventively done, especially if you haven't seen Inception. But even if you have, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like it will, I will benefit from multiple viewings just because even in the action scenes, things happen so quickly that it's like most a- a d- directors or people writing a story want you to appreciate how clever they are to come up with this sequence and this action thing. I think that's why he explains the things a lot is that he doesn't want you to miss how clever it is when they're in the snow. Are you getting this? Yeah, exactly. But in Tenet, he does all the same clever things, but does not bother to pause long enough for you to appreciate them. So you miss like 50% of them. I was rewinding a lot and going, which I was rewinding just to basically keep up with what happened in this sequence. Like, Oh, I, I don't know I, how yes, many times yes. I, I rewound because it just didn't read because it was there for like three frames. Uh, and sometimes it was something clever and sometimes it was just something simply mechanical. But this movie does not have time to let the audience appreciate what's being done. But there are some really cool bits. And I, I would encourage you to finish it. As You will find it frustrating. But Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure I will. Yeah. I'll wait till I get a... Uh... 
available home copy at high quality. Uh, two quick things. Um, first of all, again, to reference Blank Check, they, uh, so Blank Check it does a series, and the notion of the show is that it's a director who achieved early success, gets, gets written a blank check, sometimes they cash, and sometimes they bounce baby. Um, so they've been doing Zemeckis, and they're up into the sort of, like, they got the Polar Express in the latest one. But the thing they keep saying over and over, from really from the beginning, you know, even with used cars, um, definitely up through, you know, the Back to the Future. Back to the Future, I mean, is there any better example of this? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there are bits of it that, you know, wouldn't stand up to extreme, you know, scientific scrutiny. But, like, it's a Swiss clock in a lot of ways. But on top of that, Zemeckis, the phrase Griffin kept using was that he really knows where to put a camera. Like, if you, I mean, Zemeckis is so good at having a, uh, an idea about how this thing is going to look and be put together. It's, you could miss how brilliant, I mean, like, like Spielberg in some ways, uh, really, his mentor, is that Zemeckis really, he knows where to put the camera. He knows how to light it, which sounds silly, but, like, it's such a big part of the storytelling. You think about, think about all the scenes it involved like the skateboarding around in the, in the town square. I just had that in my head. I was saying like, when you think of Back to the Future, you can picture certain camera moves. You know moves. where you are. You like know exactly where he, you know, like close enough. That's the gas station. That's the soda fountain. That's where the manure gets dumped. You know, there's such a sense of place. And, but the camera movement is, it never gets in the way. That to me is, is can be a real auteur sort of thing. And I think, I think from a technical standpoint, Nolan and his team have that. Um, I also thought of you second and last. I thought of you last night because I rewatched, uh, you know, there's those movies. Oh my gosh, we talked about this, those movies, right? And you know, those movies for me, we talked about things like Excalibur, things like um, uh, 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 Escape from New York. You know what one of those was? One of those movies for me is uh, Taking a Pelham 123, which I want to say I first saw, God, it probably couldn't have been more than three, four, five years old. I'm like the one o'clock movie or like on some kind of, probably on like a UHF channel. And I, it's so weird to me how much I could fall in love with this movie full of basically middle-aged, new, mostly middle-aged New York men of some, you know, uh, often indeterminate ethnicity. I guess Jerry Stiller is supposed to be Italian. I thought of you, though, when I was watching that last night, because it's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I never stopped marveling at what they pull off in that movie in so many ways. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that movie is, it would be, it would be very difficult to quantify the influence that that has had not just on people like you know, Tarantino, or, Tarantino or whatever but just the impact that that has had on what probably David Fincher probably on uh, Soderbergh it's so influential but it's it really is its own thing I can't believe what they pulled off and I'm not I didn't know I don't know that director I don't know anything else that guy's done but in 1974 he did a Walter Matthau movie called The Taking of Pelham 123 and Oh, you know, Nolan, oh my God, all the scenes of like in uh, Dark Knight Rises, all the people like wandering around in the street, all the cops, that's so taking a Pelham one, two, three, that and probably a little bit of Dog Day Afternoon. But I thought of you because it's such a New York movie. It's such a gritty, the 70s gritty New York City. And I, it's amazing in retrospect that the, that guy pulled that off as well as he did. I hope Ellie's not listening because I have never seen Taking a Pelham one to three. Oh, he'd forgive you. I've seen, I've seen Dog Day Afternoon. I, I, I feel fairly confident. I feel fairly confident setting aside um, one um, uh, brief but very funny bit of ra- racism. Um, I, I really recommend it. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean to see it. I, I've, seen, I've seen that. I've seen the conversation. Uh, not that. I've seen uh, Dog Day Afternoon and the conversation, yeah. like, you know, a taxi driver. Like, I've got, I've surrounded it. I've got it surrounded. I just never got around to actually watching it. And every time Elliot mentions it in a flop house, I'm like, oh, you know, I should, I should watch that. It really I saw is the good. same thing when I saw you mention it. I'm like, yeah, I should watch that. 
Yeah, and like a ditto for, uh, I got to say, I rewatched King of Comedy recently, which is still, my, my God, what a strange movie. I, it's such so weird how good De Niro is in that very, very strange role. But it's a really good movie. Can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> and then Boddicker throws him off the truck. Oh, gosh. Clarence Boddicker. Now, Clarence mm-hmm. Boddicker, you the know. optimistic he, meal. Uh, you mean a whole spread? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so weird to see him in like when, when he was. that 70s show and right. Patriot? Go, yeah. go, go, he goes, he goes, Robocop, that 70s show, the Patriot. <laughs> it, it's a hell of an arc. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope he doesn't tie down his bakers. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Whatever it is you want to make. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio of your work. Maybe you want to have a blog. Whatever it is you want to do, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. I think that's arguably what makes Squarespace, uh, Squarespace is the coverage. You drag, you drop, you do some things, and you got a website. It's really, really fun. If you ever get hung up, don't worry. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need a little bit of help. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Uh, I think you all probably know by now. Uh, I, I love Squarespace. Uh, they have been great to me uh, as a publisher. You know, I, I'm very happy to be out of the webmaster business. Love posting the Roderick on the Line uh, podcast to Squarespace. It's where I host my uh, my private sites, my, my personal business sites. It's all there. It's all on Squarespace. It's the best. It's so fun to use. And uh, it might blow your mind to know that Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month. But you, my friend, can go and start a trial right now with no credit card required. You just go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. When you decide to sign up, use our offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain, and it will show your support for reconcilable differences. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash diffs, offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Okay, um, I got to tell you, bud, um, ironically enough, this is a little bit meta, or as you say, uh, uh, kind of rather kind of fractal. But uh, this actually relates to a theme dining night because I could go all sides tonight. I like all three of the Minai topics. We probably only have time for one or two of them, but I like our Minai topics. We're in media, so I feel like we should do Ted Lasso. Yeah, okay. I worry that I've talked about that too much. Do you have things to say about Ted Lasso? I mean, maybe you, you have, have nice but things I, to I, say? Haven't, I haven't heard you talk about it yet. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, you've talked around it and you mentioned it a lot, but if you've gone into it in depth in your podcast, I haven't personally heard it yet. So even though you may be tired of talking about it, not everyone listens to all of your podcasts. I'm not. I watched it. I watched it literally tonight again. <laughs> I watched one of my favorite episodes again tonight. The, um, the one where they go to Liverpool. Yeah. All right, so, I mean, do you want to start or do you want me to start? How do you want to tackle this? I mean, um, so uh, Ted Lasso. I feel like a lot of people know what it is. It's a thing on uh, Apple TV, and the, the the pattern that seems to repeat that 
it gets the viral attitude about this seems to be fairly similar for everybody I like or respect, which is you start out going, what? Why would I turn that on? First of all, nothing on Apple TV Plus is that good. Sorry, Jason. Yes, space show. But like, you know, it's not, I don't find myself going, ooh, let's tuck in and see like, what's, is, is Oprah going to be interviewing Oprah tonight? And I go, this is exciting. Let's go to Apple TV Plus Plus. But um, I went in and I was really, I'll just say for now, I was very surprised at how, how funny it was, but also just how uh, uh, surprisingly moving. I have not heard you say a word about it. So uh, give me your take. Ted Lasso. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I re- reiterate what you said about it, which is like, especially for me, there is no way I would have watched the show if a bunch of people hadn't said, this oh, you guy, have to check John, out John, you go into this TV show. What I know about you, there's so many reasons that you should not watch this show. It's in England where they say English things, and that drives you crazy. What would Americans say English things? <laughs> no, I don't, that doesn't drive me crazy. I watch The Crown, for crying out loud. And no, but like, it looks, say lo- it, I can't say got, lounge. It's got an SNL alum as the star. It looks like a it's dumb a comedy. comedy. Start with it's a comedy. You don't watch it, comedies. A, but also it looks like a dumb comedy because SNL alum are only star in their own, like a, a, a comedy starring vehicle for an SNL alum. Those always go well, right? And like the art for it is Sudeikis' big fat smile and dumb head in like a colorful background. That's like oh, SNL person has his own show and it's on Apple TV. It's like, oh, all right, well, fine. Not for me. Like, not that, you know, dumb comedy is fine. Some people like dumb comedy. <laughs> I mean, it might as well be a Chris Kattan vehicle. Right. It's, it's, a, it's that, Mango, the, the movie. Th- those aren't my thing. Like, to, and to, to give the flip side of this, I love end of the world crap. I watch the, the most terrible end of the world series you can possibly imagine. B level, C level, D level, F level. If it is end of the world stuff, eh, I'll try it. And that's just my thing. Some people are into dumb comedies, in which case they would watch this. But me, I would never watch it. But very early on, I heard so many people say, you got to see that last You got to watch that last You got to see that last I'm like, all right. Because it it was just like two days after it was released, two days after it was released, enough people that I respect the opinions of came out and basically said, I know it looks stupid. I know when you see the artwork on Apple TV, it's like invisible to you. It's like ad banner blindness. You don't even see it. But trust me, check out this show. And it doesn't take that much for me to try something if one or two or three people whose taste I understand and respect tell me that I should try it. Didn't I didn't think I was gonna uh, well, and especially when it's somebody that you know like it's so, somebody that you if let's put it this way, if three people you like or admire or respect are into something that you're pretty sure you'll hate and they say, I was pretty sure I would hate this, that's usually a good sign that it's worth at least looking at. Because hiding somewhere in there could be a tremendous surprise to go into this thing. Like, there's so many things like that where, like, I mean, like the the, the Barbie show on Netflix is not the greatest thing in the world, but it's three <laughs> it's times than, as good. Than you think it would be, huh? Yeah, it's better than you think it would be. It's way better than you would think it is. Yeah, and it's short. So, so you went, you went in. You started at the beginning. Yeah, and 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 I do this with a lot of things. Uh, I'll try it, but then maybe I get one or two episodes in, and I'm like, all right, well, I understand why these people said they thought it was you know, better than you would expect. And I agree it is better than you expect, but still not enough to get me over the hurdle of liking dumb comedies. And so I watched it and, you know, I didn't bounce off at all. I just fairly quickly watched the entire thing. It's not that long. It's not too many uh, episodes. Uh, and, and I thought, yeah, I understand why people are recommending this. Uh, but that was like, it was like COVID. That was like the first wave. Now we're on like the third or fourth wave of Ted Lasso hype. Um, I think most people, including you, 
liked it more than I did, which sounds like I'm saying that I didn't like it, but nothing could be further from the truth. I thought it was great, but when I when I compare it to my pantheon of comedies, to give you an example, Fleabag, which is the same deal. I would never watch this comedy unless a million people said, oh, you have to watch Fleabag. Yeah. Fleabag is 1,000% more my taste than Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a tribute to Ted Lasso that I thought it was great when it is so far outside of my taste, right? Fleabag is right up the middle for me. That is like that is like my ideal comedy series. Like I loved Fleabag, right? Yeah. And some people hate it, right? But and Ted Lasso, that was tremendous. I loved it. I, Ted Lasso, I really liked. I'm like, how are they able to get me to like? Is it in the end? It is a dumb comedy, but it's a smart dumb comedy. It's kind of like The Good Place. People, you know, follow all of themselves about The Good Place, which Ted Lasso I think I like better than The Good Place. But I see. I see that each one of them is executed very well for what it is. Yes. Yeah. And, and some people, you know, despise one of the, you know, th- th- this makes a pretty good range of Ted Lasso is very sort of uh, simple, straight, dumb comedy done in a sophisticated way. The good place is in the middle where it's a, you know, a little bit more sophisticated concept done in a silly way. And then Fleabag is like uh, the more, you know, dour British cynical take on a, edgy twisted comedy done in a really you know good way right right but i mean just i'm not i'm don't sound defensive but like i I love fleabag too but for example there's different things that drive people crazy and i could see somebody who i consider to be a very smart and like savvy sort of person and like the 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 fourth time that she turns and mugs at the camera they're out like no there's no there's plenty of things to turn you off in all three of those shows because they all three of them have their conceits Right. Yeah. And like I, I like Fleabag, I I mean, even though I love it so much, I'm cautious about recommending it because mm-hmm. it's really easy for people to bounce off of that show because it is just it does its thing and its thing is strange and off putting. And it's got Olivia Coleman. What is she not in? She's in the she's in. I mean, it's so funny now that so <laughs> my kid is still not putting the uh, connecting the dots with Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, not like I would like, but I'm like, I, 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 I sound like Tim Heidecker at the party and I think you should leave, you know? Yeah. Roy, Roy Donk, the cut, cut sound and played on the, uh, on the Colgate comedy hour. Um, where I'm like, Hey, you know her, you know, her 11th hour. She's the one with the fangs. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, oh, you, you remember number Wang? That's number Wang. Yeah, of course. It's like, that's her, you know, Simon from Somerset and Julie she from looked Somerset. Different and she sounded different, but it's her. Yes, but I, but I keep no. I got tons more. I just keep going because I'm like, mm-hmm. there's so many more. Because like, obviously, because we're watching the Crown. I'm like, yeah, that's the Queen. But like, also, you know, guess what? Olivia Coleman, because there's only seven English actors. Olivia Coleman is also in um, the Iron Lady. Plays Margaret Thatcher's daughter. It's like she is in every. Oh, she's the cop in Hot Fuzz. You know, mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. she's my God. She that lady works. I still think she would have made a great doctor. I gotta say, she'd be so great. She even played the queen in what was it, the favorite, right? She's she's done multiple queens recently. She has queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's done that. She's done it all. Yeah, it's weird now. It's super weird. Then when like I'm so confused because I'm so deep in this rat king of of royalty, and I'm so confused <laughs> because on the one hand, Jim Broadbent, I'm in a position now to have opinions about different portrayals of. Uh, royalty and government officials um so like jim broadbent is in um that's in the iron lady he plays mark thatcher oh my god jillian anderson oh so good in the crown but it gets confusing because then you got all this this crossover they need to get more actors john charles dance can't be in everything yeah you know or, or filch filch can't be in everything yeah watching the crown uh, my wife is i don't know if there's a word for this They're what is she what is she up what? to 
a, she, she since the day I met her, she has been a royal head. I don't know, like an American person <laughs> a royal obsessed. Watcher. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, an American person obsessed with the royal family. She had books on Lady Diana, and she like just the whole nine yards. Like before internet was big, before anything like right. this. So she is so steeped in this. When I'm watching it, I try not to bother her too much, but she knows literally everything, especially as they get to the more modern era about all these people and all their relations and what happened to them to real life. And every once in a while, I have to say, did that really happen? Did he really say that? And she'll say yes or no, or they made that up for the show or we don't know or whatever. But like, it must be a very different experience for her to watch the show because I'm watching right. it like it's a, you know, spoilers for history, but I don't know what happened because I don't follow this crap. Right. So I'm like, well, yeah, but the stuff like they, how far are you? They are, you up, how, are you? How far up are you? Uh, I, what last one we saw was but you're, you're like into season four, right? Last one we saw was the Australian tour. Um, the, US, oh, oh God. Oh my God. How much do you love her? Uh, that actress, my God, the mannerisms. But, you know, so something, something, oh God, I got to say S4E1 just leveled me because I watched it just after having listened to the You're Wrong About series, the five-part series about Princess Di. Mm -hmm. um, and well, so, and that's interesting also because you take somebody like Sarah in that case, wait, was it Sarah or Michael who's more into it? Um, but like, or, or you take like uh, on the, uh, on the watch, Amanda Dobbins was talking about like exactly the same thing as your wife or similar thing. Where she's like, she she's able, she's read the books, the two big books. She knows all the things. And she's been wondering, like, how will they portray this well-known or not well-known event, mm -hmm. right? So, like, I don't know if you're far enough. Did you, or did you get up to Charles's 37th birthday yet? No, I don't think so. I think okay. it must be after. Well, the, something happens oh, in that well, episode. Something happens in that episode. Oh, anyway, no, no. Is that the one where he tells the joke? Oh, that at the, with uh, Camilla there? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good scene. I don't remember. Was that, all was I'm, that all I'm trying to say is that there is, you have seen or will seen, uh, there's a big uh, celebration uh, at a theater for his 37th birthday and something happens. Hmm. And I had just heard the story of what you're going to see soon on your wrong about. And I don't know, like, I've been trying to get Clarence to become an honorary gay because I'm so vulnerable about certain kinds of stories about like, you know, I mean, she's kind of the English Judy Garland in some ways. She's like, you know, whatever, whatever her own proclivities and, and things were, like there's something so resonant about the life that she was forced into. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, there's just something that's slow motion. They give her lines in the show to basically say that to the audience, which is a hell of a, you know, typical television compression. You don't have time to know what it's like. So have the right. characters actually say. They, they, my God, that show is economical. It's unbelievable how much they get done with style and panache in a given episode. Um, boy, I want to I want to talk about The Crown just a little bit, real quick. Um, anyway, so I had just come off listening to, and you're wrong about, it's a wonderful podcast I really recommend to people. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but uh, I super like it a lot. It's stories that the uh, American public in general tends to still misunderstand because of early... Uh, early media reporting and incompetent or corrupt police most of the time. But, um, but the whole story of like, you know, and, but also just the, like sort of the, like the fact that Charles, who's a very different and much more sympathetic character in season three, that, that episode in Wales is just tremendous to me. But like, you know, you, he's, he's jerk, but you feel for the guy, but you start to see all these people fair or unfair as being stuck in this system of being like compelled into these roles in the, in the one where he, he doesn't want to go to Wales because he's having fun uh, at university, I think at Cambridge. He doesn't want to have to go to Wales to learn Welsh. 
Um, and he basically, he says as much to his mother and she says, no, there's no, what did she, what did she say? No, no, no buts or no, um, no refusals or whatever, whatever it is that she says. And, and then, so he's sort of kind of lightly grumbling about it. And what is it she says? She says, no one wants to hear it. And he says, well, you mean no one wants to hear it or you don't want to hear it? And she says, no one wants to hear it. And it's like, oh, that's it. No one wants to hear it because especially like Prince Philip, he doesn't want to hear anything because he's got a sour word for everybody about, yeah, you think I'm happy? You think I like being the sidekick? <laughs> you know, I used to be the one not that liked, you know, but, um, boy, they accomplished so much. And the thing I was saying to my wife, especially with, um, oh gosh, there's so many episodes like this of the crown where it really, it starts out almost like the Patriot, like an episode of Patriot. Remember the one with Patriot? Um, oh, Jay Wick Sands is wonderful with the the two brothers, the, you know the 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 Iranian terrorist guy and his brother, and they're really into the soccer team when they're kids. And it opens mm -hmm. with this, this sort of pre credit start uh, sequence starts with these. Who are these kids? Like what is happening? And you see these two little. I want to say probably. Um, uh, not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like maybe Pakistani kids, but like these two kids, they're like basically bullied by everybody else and they don't care because they're just so excited about Jay Wixan's football club. And, but you're like, wow, what, what am I watching here? What show is this? So that, one of the things that's so great about Patriot are those episodes that start out and you're like, what am I watching here? And I think the crown pulls that off without either being too cute or too masterpiece theater. I don't know how they do it. They, you, they, they send you headlong into something without explaining and like over time, you start to understand, oh, I'm going to come out of this episode with an understanding about something that I didn't know about before, you know? And I, I think that show is, it's, it's, you know, it's easy enough to like glom onto these sort of like popular, you know, high profile prestige TV things. But I think that show's just wildly successful. Yeah. It, with shows like The Crown, where they're based on real people and real events i'm always highly suspicious like like the question i was just saying that half my wife i'm always wondering is this is this a, 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 a even attempting to be a somewhat accurate representation of a person or is this actually like a composite character right i mean at the very least did all these things really happen in this order over this amount of time you know yeah, how much this, compression actually or composite felt? characters what, yeah exactly what are they choosing to show what are they choosing not to show i've heard various people that you know uh prince philip uh prince philip's racism is taking a back seat in this series because i've it just heard he's fit. extremely racist it doesn't fit into the story they're telling mm -hmm. and prince charles as you noted is very sympathetic in some episodes and a big jerk in others and his public persona and impressions of him is you know like in some respects, like because the media dehumanizes these people and the show humanizes them, and then it's like, no, those people aren't that human. But in like to make a a good show, a satisfying show to watch, it's important for. Uh, and I will tie this back to Ted Lasso eventually because I think this is true of both of them. It's important yeah. for the characters in the show to have some level of emotional intelligence and self awareness that is above what a, a mortal being could have especially in the moment because you don't have time to have you know 50 episodes in five years for someone to come to realization instead what you right. have is one or two uh events that uh surround the issue in question and then you have the character on screen as you noted very economically say a couple of sentences that let you understand what's going down and what their reaction to it is and no human processes things that well and is able to summarize them that eloquently nor would they even let their inner, mo inner monologue out in that way 
mm-hmm. but on the TV show, you have to, and that makes a satisfying and good TV show. That's te- television movies have to do that. The the art of doing it is doing it in a way that doesn't take you out of the moment and say, "What? No one would ever say that, right?" And The Crown does a good job of that by making making it look like, boy, can you imagine if this series of condensed events and interactions, which are stand-ins for an entire lifetime were this eloquently put together that you could understand the story they're trying to tell this lifetime? Right. It might not be something that a real person would say, but the test here is, do we believe that this character would say this? You can't always do a Citizen Kane style, two people acrimoniously across a you know breakfast table over the years with time lapse to like mm-hmm. <laughs> make a point. Sometimes you need to make a point in a more shorthand way. And I feel like they don't hit a lot of wrong notes about that. Well, yeah. You can agree or disagree with whether that's accurate or fair or historically, you know, um, valid. But but the the storytelling is is really good. And it's like it's like uh, you know, lots of these shows that you know they don't necessarily include therapy, like The Sopranos or whatever. But it's almost like the, the, what makes for good drama a lot of the time is for it to be a bunch of therapy sessions informally with breakthroughs, because that's what we want to see. We want to understand want to understand this interaction, this dynamic and this turmoil. We want the people to be aware enough of their circumstances and what's inside them to give verbalize the condensed story of their life Mm -hmm. in good scenes. And Ted Lasso, uh, this is one of, it's not a complaint about Ted Lasso, but I think it's one of the things that makes Ted Lasso work. A lot of people talk about how, okay, this is a show, um, you know, it's a, a sort of reaction to the show where everybody's a jerk uh or everybody is cynical i mean people talk about seinfeld is like oh everyone's bad and it's good that they all ended up in jail because they're all jerks in that show or whatever i never really viewed seinfeld as a show about a bunch of jerks it's a show no, it's, it's uh, basically it's, what the rest of the world looks like you know with the they live glasses on that's everybody's like that um, really i feel like i mean because seinfeld is so silly and so ridiculous it's mostly about a kind of humor Right. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you don't uh, get angry and criticize the quote unquote characters in a stand up comedian's bit, you understand it doesn't matter if these people are even real. It's a <laughs> style of comedy. I'm not yes. going to get angry that the person in the story is mean or whatever because I know. Hey, I'm not like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and, <laughs> Jim and so Gaffigan, Seinfeld... that's kind of Jim Gaffigan's whole bit. I mean, he has the bit where he does stand up comedy, but the part that makes Jim Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan, from the first minute of his first show is when he's speaking in the. Have you ever seen him do comedy? I have a couple of times, yeah. But he like, I'm not saying you don't have to like him, but like he does a whole, his whole bit that's so funny is him speaking in the voice of what he imagines someone in the audience is saying. Where like he'll come out and he'll, and he'll say, why is he talking like that? Is he wearing a blouse? Is yeah, he going to um, talk like this all name? night? Office guy does that too. What's his name? Uh, Ricky Gervais uh, also does a similar a similar bit. But, but in, the, in that case though, like you're, but you're drawing... You're 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 drawing in that that i idea of I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. Uh, the, oh, so uh, before we before we get off uh, the crown real quick though, I just want to say one thing, which is that like you know as much you watch that show from the beginning and like it's oh my god, you do feel for all those people and like God, could you feel more for Elizabeth? Oh, and Lane from Mad Men is so good on that show, and you're really pulling for him. But like you discover, yeah, the King of England. Guess what? His life was ruined because his brother wanted to marry. An American divorcee, and it screwed everything up. And everybody's always doing something that'll screw everything up. You know, whether that's going to end up being the um, what's called the something affair, the pa, 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 you know, the one I mean with the uh, with the girl, the eighteen year old girl, and the people. There's always just all of these these things coming along, and everybody. The role of the royal family 
the thing that runs through all of this is like, we're not here to be happy. Like we're not here, even we're certainly not here to govern. We're here. We are the ultimate force of normativeness. It's our job to do stuff like give you a protocol sheet or say like, maybe we should move the flowers, move the flowers because there's too many flowers. It's outside Buckingham palace and that'll interfere with the changing of the guard. And somebody has to like shake her out of that. And go like, uh, yeah, but like that's because they really like Diana. And like maybe it would be a bad idea to sweep away all the flowers. It's just that this is the Judy Garland angle is that when Diana is cast into that, Philip, Charles, Margaret, to a certain extent, even Anne, really all of them, the one, the meeting with all the different kids is that's such a good episode. But they are all sort of uniformly privately aggrieved about something about how they're treated or. Uh, or, or seen by other people, but they're also so incredibly tone deaf about like the the how they why they would be perceived that way, and they just it makes them dig in even further and become more prim and to as they say I, I think on the crown like with Thatcher like lay these traps where you uh, these sink or swim tests like all these different traps that you can't possibly survive the whole point is to make you feel bad about what fork you're using or whatever it is it's just that to see poor little diana at least in the character in this show tossed into that everybody around them is kind of around her, around her is kind of awful and kind of knows they're awful but thinks they're not as awful as everybody thinks they are and they're really entitled and privileged about everything and and to see her sort of slow motion ground into the gears of that there's is so it's, I just have such sympathy for that. That's all I want to say about the crowd. I have less sympathy because they are real people. And I can't imagine, this is, this, this is the connection I was making with Tevas, so I can't imagine that the real people are as smart and as nice as the people on the ground. I got a feeling, I got a feeling Olivia Coleman is a lot more charming than the actual queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, in Ted Lasso, since they're <laughs> fictional Lee characters... Fleabag's stepmother, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, not a nice character, but hilarious. Um uh, it, Ted Lasso, since they're all fictional characters, you don't have this problem. And, you know, Ted Lasso being a reaction against the, the Seinfeld thing where everybody's a jerk or whatever. And you know, like even something like Friends, where people think, oh, Friends, that's a happy-go-lucky show. But everything in Friends is so cynical, right? It's the, the cynicism hangover from, like, the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Ted Lasso is a backlash against that, where it's like protagonist... basically if somebody if somebody tried to make Catcher in the Rye, but as an in-flight magazine. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like Friends. I yes, like no, that, that, is, that is a good summary. Um, well, I know. I, I think Catcher in the Rise. No, make it a different novel, but the in-flight magazine bit is funny. You yes, got it. There you go. There, you, you mostly got it there. But, but still, those characters are all being like, always, the humor is always, you know, mean and everything is always, <laughs> everyone's always cynical and pessimistic about uh-huh. everything. Uh, and I, there's a bunch of, been a bunch of good descriptions of Ted Lasso, but I, I forget who this was. I think it was somebody on Twitter or maybe it was you. I don't remember. Do you remember who the one who said it was like, Ted Lasso is, uh, you know, imagining a, a male hero whose main tools are kindness and empathy for like for overcoming his obstacles yeah. right that's i mean it's a, it's a, it's so much it's a litmus test a rorschach test whatever you want to call it you can get a lot of stuff out of this show depending on what it is you didn't know you needed i mean and the one i keep coming back to in some ways is like i i, I get and appreciate and agree with the drumbeat about non-toxic masculinity because it's true i mean like it really is but the part that i keep coming back to is the is that is that it's not just it's not that Ted's an idiot. It's that it's so important to him to make this this team work that he's not going to let you drag yourself down. It's one thing to like make fun of him 
and for Jamie Tart to like make a gesture at him that he sees in the mirror. But he's not going to let you drag yourself down anymore. I mean, Roy Kent being, I think, and, and Rebecca to an extent, but especially Roy Kent, great example. And like when he gives him the um, the book, you know, that he reads to his uh, to his niece, and he's like, "Oh God, you get out of my head." <laughs> that that's that's the part. But yeah, yeah. But there's something that is funny. It is warm. There's a lot to it. It's just I think what different people walk away from is 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 very interesting. And it's a good show for the moment because we're all depressed because of all the COVID stuff. So it's nice to have something heartwarming. Uh, and the the uh, conceit and the thing that allows Ted Lasso to execute on this strategy successfully is that essentially like it starts off with a dumb comedy premise and a dumb comedy villain. Uh, but essentially everybody in the show is actually very smart and emotionally intelligent and just gets off track a little mm. bit, which allows, mm. which allows the, 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 the mm. sort of the success of Ted to like everybody. Yeah. For the, for the most part, they're all mm. good people on the show. Like that's the whole conceit of the show. Instead of like friends or Seinfeld, where well, I mean, all... they become, they become good people, but like, right, because, but, but they, that's what I'm saying. Like, so if, if you had a person in real life who was doing what Rebecca was doing, you're not going to turn them around the course of a season because that person. No, is Rupert's always going to be like Rupert. I mean, Roy Kent's turnaround is pretty rapid. And, but like, I also, I mean, I also love the little twist em ups of like, when we were watching the final episode, there's a way it turns out and there's a way you kind of wish it turned out, but the way it actually did turn out makes it a thousand times better. So my kid was initially kind of, bummed about how the thing turned out until we got to the end end and i was like exactly right like this show would not be this show if this had gone a different way ted could not have given the speech that he gives that amazing speech about what we're sad and angry about tonight he couldn't have given that speech if things had gone a different way but like for for all of those people you know he finds the opportunity to buy sort of he's not putting himself down but he's willing to be like the fool or the buffoon for you to get the opportunity to elevate yourself, you know? And it gets played for laughs. The first time you meet Nate and he says, nobody's ever asking what his name is. I mean, yeah, it's a stretch, you know, but it works. You know, do you, do you wax your pubes? <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash Diffs. Hey, you know, if you're getting ready to hunker down for the winter, make sure your home is up to the task with Burrow. They make foolproof furniture, durable, comfortable sofas, sectionals, and more delivered directly to your door. Whether you choose the all-new Super Cozy Range Collection or the award-winning Nomad Collection, everything from uh, Burrow is designed to go perfectly together, and it's built to make your life easier. Burrow is all about practicality and adaptability. You can assemble a Burrow sofa by yourself. Believe me, I did it. You can do it. You don't need any tools or help. You can just do it yourself in minutes. I love that they arrive in different boxes that even a weakling like me could carry up the steps and put together. It's uh, it's really quite marvelous. Burrow's uh, sofas are built for real life, and that's why you'll get thoughtful features like a built-in USB charger. How cool is that? And you can customize everything to create your own dream sofa. You can choose the color fabric, arm style, leg style, size, and shape of your seating. And Burrow just launched over 10 new products, including two circular coffee table collections, cool, soft and stylish new rugs, and convenient, easy to clean trays. Burrow is great for renters because you can build with no tools and it's all easy to move whenever you're good to go. Families and pets, gotta love them. They're scratch and stain resistant and families and pets make a lot of scratches and stains. So uh, that's what you want in your fabric. 
And anyone who wants stylish quality furniture but doesn't know where to start, believe me, I've been in that position. You got to get you a burrow. And like I say, I, I, I got this burrow couch after years of looking for uh, sofas, and um, and uh, it was on my wife's short list. So even before they were a sponsor, bought the sofa myself with my own money. Didn't even use a discount code. What an idiot. But you know, I love my uh, burrow, and I put my butt on it every night, and it's just the best. And as always, every single burrow order includes fast and free shipping. And right now, you can save an extra $75 off your purchase by going to burrow dot com slash diffs that's d-i-f-f-s b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash diffs 75 dollars off that's such a good deal you guys go get a sofa go to burrow our thanks to burrow for supporting reconcilable differences and all of relay fm Yeah. And, and that's that's the that's the pitch of the show is that I mean, because if they had the show and if there was even one character who was more like a regular human who, despite all the best efforts, is going to be self-destructive no matter what, they would be kind of spoiling the whole thing. Because the whole point of the show is look at all these people who have problems that you will recognize, right, who are in situations that are not ideal and have various hang ups and issues and bad habits and bad attitudes and yeah. bad thoughts about themselves and others. And how they all can grow and learn to some degree thanks to their collective efforts of each other. It's not just Ted magically coming in and solving all the problems because he's got no, his own no, problems no. and other people help him solve them too. And that's the whole lesson of the show is that all together we can do this thing. And it is perhaps unrealistic that this group of people would not have a single one that is intractably bad or gets worse in reaction to this, but that's not the show they were making. And because right. it's not supposedly based on a true story, you totally buy that and it works. And it subverts the idea of a dumb comedy because normally for the past several decades, dumb comedies have to be all about either cringe comedy right. like The Office, which can be funny, or people being cynical, or or you need some cartoon villain somewhere. The only cartoon villain I guess you have is Rebecca's Rupert. ex-husband. Yeah. But like, okay, so here's an example though. Now I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, this is a show where I'm increasingly, I'm so exhausted with all of you that haven't watched it that, but I still don't want to spoil it. But think about Jamie Tart. So if, if you take one's expectations going into a show like this, whatever those expectations are, I think you could come out of the first, eh, especially the first two thirds of the first episode thinking, well, Jamie's going to be like a pretty big deal on this show. You know, he's the young gun. He's got the cute girlfriend with the boobs. Uh, and you would say, oh, no, Roy Kent is going to be like an interesting secondary character. Well, I think they knew from the beginning that that was not going to be the case, but they needed to set Jamie up. We didn't even know initially. I don't think that he was there for Man City. But Jamie's, you know, he's he's cocky and he's talented and he thinks that he's, you know, the only good person on the team and he, the, all the problems of youth. And we eventually appreciate stuff like that. That's how Roy used to be. And now Roy's reluctantly late in his career being pushed into this different kind of role that he's never, he's never had to think about getting old and becoming a leader. And it's that, that little miniature journey in the time that he's given each episode is, is really, is really special. But like, but also then with the Jamie stuff, yeah, he becomes a little bit of a goat, but he's not horrible, right? Like he's, he's kind of mean to Keely, but like also Roy is there to push back. And it's like, it's, and then he's kind of terrible. When he goes back to Manchester, he's, he's a real jerk. But think about what happens in that last act of the last episode. And Ted sees something. This is kind of a callback. We learned early on that Jamie felt a lot of pressure from his father to, you know, that he wasn't impressive enough. That he, like his friend, the, Jamie's dad's friends would not be impressed unless Jamie was better than he is. 
And then there's a really moving, there's a couple really moving, oh God, nothing but moving scenes in that last episode. You know what I'm talking about? There's the one where like Ted sees something, an interaction with Jamie and his father that makes you go, oh man. You know, and that's why I brought up that Philip Larkin poem is that like, this is your mom and dad don't mean to screw you up, but they do. Like they, they really do. But then on top of it all, it drives Jamie and Roy and all these guys, it drives them crazy that they think Ted, because all they've ever known is other men needling them. They've, they've never had men in their life who are, aren't straight up either abusing them or vying, constantly vying for status. And whether that's Trent Krim, <laughs> whether that's Roy, any of those guys, they're like so, they don't know what to do with this bumpkin who's come to the team. But that scene, when Beard gives him the envelope and he goes on the bus, I think that is one of the most genuinely sweet and like wonderfully underplayed moments of TV I've seen in a while. And the note that he gives him, because how much would you love to have Ted Lasso as your dad? You know what I mean? And he's not doing it to needle him, but like, I think that really drives home. It's not to drive home, oh, you shouldn't have been so mean to Ted Lasso and gone back to Manchester, but it's more a way of, to say like, you know, that, oh, that kindness, what are the themes? Let's talk big themes, kindness, forgiveness, you know, belief. Uh, you know, all of these things really do matter. And if we only let ourselves be defined and governed by the negative feelings that we think will keep us safe, we're not going to become whole people. And you need somebody. In some ways, Ted Lasso is the ultimate manic pixie dream boy title. Like he's, he's there to help you with your journey. Like he has his journey and boy, he has his ups and downs, you know, sassy Smurf and et cetera. But you know what I mean? It's like, not only is it a Rorschach test or a, um, for for like what you take away from this but like i just think it's it could just be covid like you said but i think it's just that like i feel like i know at least i'm i was unexpectedly ready for a story about how being decent and caring about other people still matters without it turning into some kind of a roma downey tv show yeah and and this this show plays on the format to subvert expectations it smuggles this show in under like a like a like a sheep in wolf's clothing it mm-hmm. smuggles it smuggles the sheep in underneath the guise of a wolf of this you know <laughs> what would you say a sheep in wolf's clothing yeah yeah because that's the wolf good. is oh, that's oh, so good it, wolf is going to be one of those you know dumb comedies that's mean about everybody and is the yep. the crooked owner and she's going to do things and there's the buffoon from the u.s and and all that other stuff and uh but it manages to sneak in this this heartwarming show um the, the, this the show did have the Monty Python factor for me because at mm-hmm. various times my brain would be kicked sideways and be like, wait, why do soccer players have so much money? They're trying to say he has a Lamborghini? He has a Lamborghini. He plays soccer. Like, I'm not in the, <laughs> I don't understand why, how famous and how rich and how important soccer is that the idea that, you know, same thing with Roy's early career. It's like, I had an early career. It's like, you play soccer, dude. Oh, you know, forget it. It's, it's in, it's in the UK. I get it. Yep, it's different. Yep, yep. All, all the rules are off. <laughs> and so it just, it does not make sense to me. And yeah. I'm, you know, and there's that funny bit, um, you know, I love Chrissy Teigen, but she had this photo she posted and somebody, somebody said something and like, sometimes Somebody will say something that you're like, oh God, that's so true. And it was a photo of her like getting a spa treatment in her living room or something. And mm-hmm. somebody's like, why do all rich people live in a hotel lobby? And I thought <laughs> the same thing at Jamie's house. When Jamie and Keely mm-hmm. are at his house, I'm like, it looks like a knockoff, not even a W, but it looks like some kind of like a knockoff boutique hotel. Like, <laughs> it's a, how does he have that much money? Yeah. He needs to play soccer. It doesn't They don't sense. call it uh, the Premier League for nothing. Yeah. When you, when you talk about the... Uh... 
the themes of the show, it makes me, so the themes that you listed on the show, it makes me think a lot about uh, my kids in middle school have these uh, set of beliefs that the, I don't know if this is from uh, the principal who uh, actually just recently left to school, but the principal would, would say these beliefs to the parents and to the kids so that everybody who goes through this middle school knows this sort of mantra. It's like painted on the walls or whatever. And it's not poetic, but the set of beliefs, especially the last one, really makes me think about like that how Ted Lasso is coming at you with lessons and things that if we were to write them down in plain English, you'd be like, I learned that when I was in kindergarten. What is the show trying to tell me? Like the right. sharing is good or something, for example, right? But mm-hmm. that's not what the show's about, right? So here are the the set of beliefs that my kids learned in middle school. And this is aimed at school, but it's applicable to life. First one is be here, which is funny now because they're not there in COVID or they are doing a hybrid thing or whatever. Um, so the whole point of that is like show up to class, show up to school, whatever. Be safe, which, you know, Maybe that's a sign of the times, but in general, like that's an important goal for everyone in school. Set goals, which is don't just show up in school and just do what you have to do. Actually set goals for yourself to do something. Be honest, basic thing like, oh yeah, of course we're not supposed to lie. Everyone knows that. And mm-hmm. then the final one, which I think is the most important one, and it's it, it gets the anchor spot for this reason, which is let go and move on. Wow. Is that is that part of like a restorative justice thing? It's, I think what it's part of when I heard it originally in context of my first kid in, in any school, case, it's very good. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant because one of the things that, you know, let's say a sixth grader, because this is like sixth, sixth through eighth grade, sixth, seventh and eighth graders have issues with. And in general, teens have issues with is everything's in a teen's life, especially as they get a little bit older, it becomes super dramatic and a big deal. And whatever it is whatever it is that's a big deal in your life whether it's a relationship or stress about school or or problems with your friends or i can figure out this new confusing school and changing classes and i got embarrassed or i you know my pants fell down in the hallway like something's going to happen to you in middle school and some bad things are going to happen and it's like any one of those things can grab you and like just pull you down forever and you will know and and this this final belief besides to just show yeah that, that'll stay that'll stay alive and painful for as long as you keep nursing it and and just just merely just to get through mechanically the school is like sometimes you just have to let go and move on and that works in every direction if you're mm-hmm. if two kids are feuding or they're fighting or someone said something what mean, is it let let go and move on let go and move on. It's such mm. an important skill for kids to have to not get hung up on whatever the thing is, whether they're in the right, whether they're in the wrong. And that gets in the more adult version of that in Ted Lasso is forgiveness. So many things happen in Ted Lasso that if the characters chose to, they could rightfully hold on to those and polish them as a little grudge stone forever and ever because so many terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. And let go and move on is what allows the, you know, the, the the forgiveness and all those things to happen and allows the characters to move forward. Because if they didn't, season two and season three and season four would just be people like nursing those grudges. Let go and move on is a it's sort really of kid aimed way to, te- to, because you can't tell kids about forgiveness, right? Because then they'll think they're in Sunday school and they'll, it'll bounce off them. Let go and move on is a, a self-focused sort of like right it's defensive driving for your emotions exactly it's to say look don't just it doesn't say you you, we're not gonna you know you're not gonna agree that that person wasn't mean to say that or thing it's but like look you got another class to go do let go move on right like and you're gonna have to keep doing that right and and like is but like in in episode whatever that is eight or nine the one that's kind of my favorite the um all apologies episode 
I mean, I just, I, I think about that episode several times a day. And because I think, I think part of it is like when you, there is something transformative about forgiveness and as well as, you know, the two sides of that, there's something transformative about kind of like laying yourself down prone and saying like, I was really wrong. I, I screwed that up. I don't know if you can forgive me, but I hope you will. But it's not really, it doesn't matter if you forgive me. It's important that you know that I know I screwed up and I, I hate that I injured you. But then the ability to forgive those two sides do a handshake and something really special happens. But like, there's also this like sort of like grace note to a lot of these things, which is, I don't think needs to be stated, but is worth calling out or teasing out, which is like, in maybe in that moment, maybe in my life, but especially in that moment, I was somebody who I don't like, or I was somebody who I don't want to be, right? And not to make it about you, but it's a way, but like what motivates a profound apology is it starts with before you ever say, oh, sorry, you forgive me? Are we good? Like before you ever say BS like that, it starts with you saying to yourself that the reason I'm having so much resistance to making this right is that I was being somebody whom I don't want to be. And, and up until the minute I make this right, I'll continue to be a person I don't want to be. And then when you, if that, for, if that apology is uh, sincerely offered and, you know, kindly, graciously accepted, it's so good for both of you. Because now guess what? Now you get to shed away all of those, those uh, existential calluses and become a slightly better person or at least a different person. And I think that's one thing that makes it so hard to do. If you ever admit, if you ever apologize, you're admitting you were wrong. No, no, no. I have 100% existential integrity. I've always been exactly the person that I am now and everybody else is wrong. And like that callousness is exactly what gets us into a lot of our, our biggest problems. But to, to see people sort of acting that out, I think can be, can be really profound. And, and like you said, to make it an assertive uh, or um, sort of um, transitive thing of like, I'm going to, what did you say? Let go and move on rather than like, keep doubling down on this, like my own personal version of the troubles. I mean, that, that's, that can be really transformative. And uh, even it applies in, in so many different major plot points in Ted Lasso, even Ted's personal situation where like arguably nobody is at fault and no one needs to apologize, but you both, every, both parties do need to let go and move on. If you, you couldn't have the rest of the series, if Ted didn't do that, right? Ted is put yeah. into a tailspin in episode two or three and it's yeah. important for him to let go and move on it's a, you know, it, yeah i think five is when they visit and i think six is the liverpool uh, asian pastime of karaoke episode but the pieces are in place from from pretty early on for ted to do the things that he does at the end of the series he can't still be <laughs> hung up on absolutely yeah 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 and that, that's what allows him to forgive when he needs it's all because to because he wants to go right? send something to 1997 yeah 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 so anyway i i think the show works very well uh for what it's trying to do it is clever way clever than it more clever than it needs to be great performance is funny mm -hmm. um and the the right show at the right time this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by SaneBox. you can learn more about SaneBox right now by visiting sanebox.com slash you know, you ask a lot of people, what's the biggest time waster at work? I think a lot of people don't even have to think much about it. The answer is email. Boy, email can really sap a lot out of your day. I've thought about it a lot, and I think it's true. Email, you know, it's a real mixed bag. 
You know, in a recent study, they found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that didn't need an answer. Boo! What if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks and some drags, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control, filters out all the messages that you don't need so you can get focused on the stuff that does really need and deserve your attention. Now listen, you don't even have to switch email apps because SaneBox works in whichever email client you already use. It also has some really cool features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again. I think we've all had some of those. And things like Sane Reminders for sending email reminders to your future self. I've used SaneBox, and I think it's swell. I mean, they, I already kind of said this, but what, what's neat about it is that there's nothing to really learn. You just drag email into the correct SaneBox folder, and it learns from that. And then it does the things that you want it to do. And, and, and it sends you a digest so you don't lose anything really important. You can check in, have some confidence that what you're, uh, what you're uh, having done on your behalf is the thing you want done on your behalf. That's the beauty of SaneBox. It's really cool. Right now, you can go see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Nothing wrong with that. All you gotta do is go to sanebox.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You go there today. It's right there on the internet. Go start your free trial, two-week free trial, and you're gonna get a $25 credit. You go to S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash diffs. What a great service. Our thanks to SaneBox for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Did you, have you gone back and watched the commercials? Yes. They're very funny. And like, I, I guess I, I watched the first one, the original one, a bunch of times. And I, I guess I never finished watching the second one with the one where he's a commentator, mm -hmm. which is also just extremely funny. And like now, so you've seen the second one? Mm-hmm. So like the biggest catchphrase in our house of the last week is scatter. Mm -hmm. When he steals the police car. It's so funny. Why is that so funny to me? He's capable of some very silly stuff. That that's another amazing thing. For, for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the this this series came out of a set of comedy interstitials, I guess. What were they for the upfronts for some? NBC NBC got the rights to show um, Premier League soccer, and so they made these commercials involving a football coach from Kansas who ends up going to England to coach a Premier League team, and all of you know hilarity ensues. There was the first one, and then later on, there's the second one. The first one, he's the coach of uh, Totten Tottenham. And mm -hmm. then uh, the second one, of course, well, no spoilers, but he gets fired after six hours. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, that's right, kick, kick, like a girl. And then, uh, and then, like, he becomes a commentator. And then, of course, you know, there's problems there, too. And now, yeah, this was seven years ago was the first commercial. And, and presumably they did it because he worked for SNL and it was an NBC thing and you could do this for cheap. And hey, let's just make some, you know, let's make some funny commercials, funny promos for a pretend if there was an American who had to coach a team, a team, a soccer team in England, didn't know anything about soccer. Right. But that's not a show. That's that's just like, oh, we did some funny skits to, you know, advertise the fact that we have Premier League soccer. There is very little, if anything, in those little skits and commercials that would lead you to believe that the show they would make called Ted Lasso would have the heart that we just right. talked about. Right. There, there's, there's some, um, I hate to say recycled jokes, but there's some very funny bits from the commercials that get reused right. like, throughout yeah. 
the first, but, but, uh, yeah, it's him and coach beard who used to be very skinny and mm-hmm, had more hair. Mm-hmm. He was so little. Um, but like he and coach beard, uh, did this together. And the thing was, I heard an interview or watched an interview on YouTube recently with, um, Sudeikis, but he talked about, it was really the second commercial was really important because that's more of where he started to figure out elements of this character that weren't just, as he said, a screamy yelly guy where he started to see more of that, that kind of vulnerability and a little bit more like, um, you know, Friday night lights kind of yeah. feel to it. And cause he'd been chastened by the first commercial. <laughs> How do you mean? Like that he got fired. Oh, oh right, 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 right. <laughs> Why don't you tell me this is live? Yeah. And and yeah. yeah. And in general, like a likable character who nevertheless has had was put in a situation where he was bound to fail and did fail and felt bad about it, right? But I, I do love the idea that I mean this is sort of uh the a product of the you know the golden age of television or whatever, where you say, Oh, we're gonna make a show out of this property from this skit with this person or whatever, and that the people involved uh, obviously they're funny. They were able to make a bunch of funny jokes for some commercials for a silly thing, which is hard to do because if you're like, oh, well, we're part of the NBC brand and they want us to make some funny thing for a commercial. And they're, and they're just so we know, they're, they're, they're not one minute commercials. They're longer yeah. form and they you really get to explore more about, you know, the character, the environment. But it feels like uh, like given being given a job of like, all right, you want me to do. All right. I mean, like you could you could try to phone that in. You could be sour about it or being like, all right, well, I well, guess I'm thinking of something gig. like 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 a, a throwaway bit from Seinfeld. Think about something like when Jerry's uh, penis has to play chess with his brain. It's pretty funny, <laughs> but extremely stupid. Like he's got that dumb like prosthetic on. It's just really, really stupid. It was fun. I wouldn't need to watch that particular scene more than, you know once every few years but like imagine if somebody turned that into like the geico caveman getting a commercial or something like take a, this really like haha okay that's fine let's but it's not anything like i'm gonna like it's not gonna be like a making copies thing even <laughs> and you can imagine if you were given that assignment not being not bringing your a-game because you'd be like all right well it, it's yeah, like it's, it's like a comedian being yeah doing a corporate gig it's like well they pay well but you just you know whatever right but they're <laughs> professionals and they right. they ended up coming with a lot they they pro- here's the premise you you know american soccer coach doesn't know anything about soccer come up with some good gags as you noted they came up with some gags that were good enough that they came in the series proper but then i would imagine that when they were when they said okay we're going to make a show out of this they didn't just say great well we already did a bunch of brainstorming have some funny gags so let's just crap out a show that is just yeah. essentially those gags it seems like they, you know, grab the reins of this and it says we we are given money and creative control in this situation with this new Apple TV plus whatever the hell. Right. We yeah. have the creative freedom to like the same attitude that led them to make good jokes for a stupid promo for NBC for soccer. That same sort of get up and go is say, don't just make a longer version of those commercials. You have the opportunity to do essentially anything you want with this bucket of money. Uh, you have creative control. What do you want to do and what do you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. And apparently there was no one there telling them, don't do that. Just make it a dumb comedy, right? Uh, if anything, they were encouraging, you know, because it's Apple TV Plus, let's try all sorts of different things. Let's have a space show. Let's have a sci-fi show. Let's have Oprah do things. Let's have... But but you couldn't have pulled that off also without that cast. I mean, it's it, I agree with you. The, the thing on the, that says right on the tin is like, oh my God, how is this, how is this not sucky? But like, it's like when you really think about it though how this show knew what it was from the beginning hiring people like hannah wadnam and you know all these different people like it's it was a it was a miracle by design not by accident it's just weird to us that it started as a commercial but i think this is a team that you know that knew what it was doing they believed 
the rules at my kids' preschool, there's two rules. There's always two things with them. Um, keep your hands to yourself and sand stays on the ground. A lot of people could learn from that. 